Filmmakers, cinematographers, and their camera operators have been consistently creating new and innovative ways to make film into an art form. They learned early on that while a fixed camera could capture moving subjects just fine, a moving camera would envelop an audience in an immersive experience. Once the camera began to move, on purpose, filmmakers could further control the audience's perspective. The main problem, motion picture cameras were generally large machines. As a result, they were fucking heavy. That is until an inventor named Brown. No, not that inventor named Brown, though we will note that the fictional inventor named Brown does share a suspiciously similar name to the real life Brown who studied camera movement with weightless like ease and revolutionized how audiences would see the world with his amazing Cinovation. Talking movies every week. Talking movies every week. Cinovation. 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 Hosted by Jeff and Corey. Even as Hollywood was in its infancy, the thought of a movable camera, or camera motion, was on the minds of filmmakers and cinematographers. From the fixed position on a tripod, the camera could be horizontally panned or vertically tilted. These pan and tilt movements helped early filmmakers widen the frame and extend the audience's view to expand the world they were creating. It also allowed film goers to follow action across the frame and increase the drama and excitement of the shot. See, with a simple panoramic movement, we can now see the soldiers cross the field and reveal the castle they are about to invade. It's only a model. As the motion picture business began to grow, so did the technology of camera movement. Various camera rigs would be developed throughout the years to extend beyond just the fixed pan and tilt. Some systems, like the crane and dolly, became mainstay tools of the industry, while others, like crude rolling push carts, pulley lift systems, and roughly constructed elevating platforms, were more improvised products of necessity that rigging departments made with, well, what was on hand. See, we've got some wood here fixed to the back of a bicycle. That should do the trick. Hop on up there with your feet dangling precariously close to the back wheel while Larry tries to keep a level for you. All right, boys, action! The dolly shot consists of the camera fixed to a platform on wheels, called a dolly. A little known fact switches, the dolly is named after a famous country singer who starred in the biggest little whorehouse in Texas. She sang the song, I Will Always Love Jeff, You. Jeff, Jeff, no, stop, stop it. You know that Dolly does not come from Dolly Parton, right? The Dolly wasn't named after Dolly? No, the Dolly doesn't come from Dolly. What about in Dolly movies when they use the Dolly? Did they get confused about which one was the real Dolly? Only when they film Dolly at Dollywood, and then they use a hardware Dolly to transport the camera Dolly. But stop it! Moving on. Believe it or not, the camera Dolly, not Dolly Parton or a hardware Dolly or a refrigerator dolly, can be pushed or pulled alongside or through a scene, often on set. The dolly would sit on a set of pre-laid tracks that create a more fluid, consistent path, especially over more uneven terrain when shooting on location. The use of guiding tracks also helped filmmakers coin the phrase tracking shot to describe this camera movement. 
This method often required a few grips on hand to manually push or pull a dolly along its tracks. You know, a little known fact, Switches, grips got their names from pornographic... No, no, stop it. Never mind. (sighs) The smooth tracking movement sort of removes the voyeuristic filter felt by a mirror camera pan and instead moves the audience with the action instead of to the action. It can also act as a dramatic amplifier when the camera pushes into a scene to reveal a more nuanced detail hidden from the wider starting point. It also allows for a shift in perspective or framing without the break of an edit. This particular camera movement method was first introduced by Giovanni Pastroni. Pastrone? Pastroni. Pastroni? Okay. Giovanni Pastroni. Giovanni Pastroni. I like him with a little bit of uh, Alfredo. Yeah. So Giovanni Pastroni, in his 1914 Italian silent film, Cabaria, Pastroni's use of this new movement was almost instantly duplicated, and it inspired many icons of the era, like D.W. Griffith, Those in the industry at the time would even refer to the new camera movement method as the Cabarilla shot. For many years, Pastroni's innovations, his extensive use of a moving camera, including the dolly shot, and even inventing the modern film epic as a genre, would be falsely attributed to those larger names of the era, like Griffith and even Cecil B. DeMille. Another stolen accolade is the distinction of being the first film shown at the White House which was long attributed to Griffith's Birth of a Nation in 1915, but in fact was Pastroni's Cabiria, as it was screened for President Woodrow Wilson and the first family on the White House lawn in 1914. The perception of Cabiria and Giovanni Pastroni's contributions to film would be widely corrected some 90 years later, thanks to the help of legendary film director and film history advocate, Martin Scorsese. The Crane, or its smaller companion, the Jib, became a well-relied-upon tool in Hollywood by the 1940s. Crane shots would become a staple of capturing wide-sweeping shots of choreographed dance numbers that defined much of the era's musicals. Funny thing, Switch the Envelope fans. The Crane got its name from a talented kid from Reseda. Oh, just, See, what he oh. would do is he would stand on a on a, on a a building and he'd do a mm-hmm. kick, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it looked like a crane. On, on one foot, Jeff? On one foot. Yeah. He was taught by his friend, Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, no, just no. No? No. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Stop it. In general, a camera is attached to one end of an extended arm or boom. Larger installments would have seats fixed to that same end for the director, camera operator, and sometimes the cinematographer. Heavy weights are then added to the opposite end to compensate for the weight of the crew and the camera. At its minimum, the crane requires two people to make the shot, one to operate the camera and one to operate the crane. The mechanism is akin to a playground seesaw and allowed cameras to smoothly soar high above a set, lower down into a scene, or take you from the raw emotions of war on Scarlett O'Hara's face, to high above a sea of seemingly endless wounded soldiers in Best Picture winner, Gone with the Wind. For most of the 20th century, those techniques could only handle one or two simple movements per device. 
Eventually, dolly-mounted cranes and even camera cars would expand on that range of camera movement. Each movement method to this point in history would still require a hefty team of specialists or a handful of unlucky grips to set up and operate at a considerable cost to production. As mid-century cameras became lighter, handheld, or shoulder-mounted techniques helped limit operation to just one person, this single operator alternative helped usher in a style shift for capturing newsworthy events, on-the-fly documentaries, and guerrilla-style filmmaking. However, while this method was able to be more immersive in the action, it resulted in less stable framing, composition, and footage that was undeniably shaky. In the mid-1970s, a little-known folk singer with an affinity for filmmaking and a disdain for shaky handheld footage would develop a camera stabilizing system that would give nearly all the dramatic camera fluidity of the crane and dolly, while also providing a smoother single operator alternative to the traditional handheld method. Enter Garrett Brown. Great Scott! Again, not the fictional inventor with the suspiciously similar sounding name Emmett Brown. Inventor filmmaker and real life person Garrett Brown is the son of another inventor named Rodney G. Brown. You see, Switches, Rodney wasn't related to Emmett Brown, but he was almost shot in the back by Buford Mad Dog Tannen over a matter of $80. No, 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 no. No, Jeff, no. No, stop. that didn't happen? No. Didn't happen? Again, that's fictional inventor Emmett Brown. Stop. Okay. Okay, I got Rodney you. G. Brown, the father of Garrett Brown, developed a synthetic hot melt glue that's used for binding paperback books. You know, instead of like animal hooves and stuff. Gotcha. Like in Ferdinand. Exactly. Anyway, though Garrett's father was an accomplished inventor that pushed his son to do the same, Garrett had other, loftier ambitions. While attending Tufts University in Massachusetts, he met Al Dana, and the two formed the very wonderfully named folk duo, Brown and Dana. Okay, so you're telling me this is how they met Dolly Parton, and that is how the Dolly was named after her. No! Nowhere in this story do we talk about Dolly Parton. Uh, yeah, it is, because right now I'm talking about Dolly Parton. No more! All right. The duo of Brown and Dana recorded a full-length album for MGM Records in 1963 titled It Was a Very Good Year. The titular track from that album may sound familiar because it's the same song that would win Frank Sinatra a Grammy just three years later. With not much steam coming off of Brown and Dana, though, Garrett turned to his other passion, filmmaking. In 1975, Garrett put together his first mobile camera stabilization prototype, named the Brown Stabilizer. <clears throat> His contraption was more or less a scaled down handheld version of a camera crane. It was constructed of two parallel hinged aluminum arms with a camera mounted on one end and a sort of suitcase handle at the center pivot point. While the design did well enough to handle steady crane-like camera movements that added the mobility of a single camera operator the contraption was several feet long, quite cumbersome, and weighed roughly 70 pounds. Operation of the device was laborious, yet an intriguing first step. But it looked more like a contraption better suited to extract a signed Babe Ruth baseball from the clutches of the beast than the next wave of camera movements innovation. Ultimately, the Brown Stabilizer 
wasn't the end-all answer to traditional camera movement methods that Brown was looking for. Garrett needed to devise a system that offset and displaced the weight while allowing the camera movement to be independent of its operator. With the camera away from the operator, it would take away any unintended shakiness that plagued the era's handheld shots and even his own brown stabilizer. <clears throat> After a few tweaks, a design overhaul, and a short stay at a hotel running through the halls testing his new systems, Brown landed on a design that incorporated a vest-like harness that is attached to a spring-tensioned isoelastic arm that then attached to a gimbal-mounted post called the sled. One end of the sled holds the camera mount, the other end is counterweighted. The counterweight on the bottom is calibrated slightly heavier than the top weight of the camera, making the center of gravity at the pivot point of the gimbal. This keeps the sled upright and makes the camera movement as effortless as a slight touch from the operator's fingertips. The result was a fully mechanical device that, through the power of some old school physics, offset and dispersed the weight of the camera, while also acting like a shock absorber to keep the near weightless movement of the camera independent from the operator. With one operator, the camera could cover angles a couple of feet above the operator's head to a couple of feet off the ground. Full pans left and right, forward, backward, and diagonal as far as the operator's feet could take it. Crane, dolly, and handheld all in one. The Steadicam was fucking born. To make the Steadicam fully operational, however, there was still one small hurdle to overcome. Now that the camera was independent from the operator, the viewfinder on the camera that the operator uses to see what they're shooting was now rendered completely useless. And the conventional viewfinder extensions of the day would only work to limit the mobility of the Steadicam. Sure, the device could move a camera in ways that had never been achieved, but if the operator was shooting blind, then the final images captured are more of a hopeful accident than well-intended art. With more modern film cameras, and even the more modern Steadicams, there is now a video playback screen that is attached to the camera rig, and that video signal can even be relayed to a separate monitor for the director. This video monitor relays, in real time, relatively the same image that the film camera lens is capturing. And nowadays, with the camera setups going fully digital, that video playback is able to show exactly what one or even several cameras are capturing. But back in 1975, that video technology just wasn't available. Camera operators were beholden to that viewfinder. Garrett needed a way to bring the image being projected into the camera up to a stable place in front of the operator's eye, while still being flexible enough not to inhibit the Steadicam's range of motion. He turned to a company named American Optical to help design and fit an eyepiece with a fiber optic cable to the cameraman's viewfinder. The cable wound its way around the sled and arm of the Steadicam and projected the image from the viewfinder onto a small screen mounted just in front of the operator's eye. You could say that American Optical provided the last eyepiece of the puzzle. Oh, come on. With the Steadicam's mechanics and visual components secured, Brown set off to make an epic demo reel to show what his new invention could do. Let me guess. He's going to name it after himself. He's going to say something brown. It's the brown demo. <laughs> the brown demo. 
He filmed over 30 shots traversing effortlessly over different terrain at various speeds, including a brisk run up and down the now famous steps in front of the Philadelphia Art Museum. Brown shopped around his 10-minute demo reel and caught the interest of directors like Hal Ashby, Stanley Kubrick, and John G. Alvidson. The demo reel also impressed the top brass at Cinema Products Corporation, an American manufacturer of motion picture camera equipment, which subsequently agreed to a licensing and manufacturing deal with Brown. Director John G. Alvidson was so impressed with that shot on the steps of the Philadelphia Art Museum that he hired Brown to recreate the shot for his everyman boxing film, Rocky. The ensuing shot in the film following Sylvester Stallone up those same steps, as well as the gliding camera angles for the fight sequences, would become some of the most iconic first uses of the Steadicam in film. However, Rocky wasn't the first film to use Brown's Steadicam. It wasn't even the second. In the latter part of 1975 and into 1976, fresh off the buzz of his demo reel, Garrett was hired by three different films to bring his Steadicam's versatility to their projects. All three were filmed within the same year, all three were released in the same year, and all three received Academy Award nominations. Rocky was the third film credit and second screen release for Garrett's Rig. The sci-fi thriller Marathon Man, starring Dustin Hoffman, was the second film to be shot, but was released a few months prior to the other two, making it the first film released featuring scenes shot with the Steadicam. As iconic as Sly running up those steps is, and as iconic as all those shots of Hoffman running around looked, they weren't really pushing the limits of what audience had seen. Brown's first assignment, and the last of the three films to be released, Bound for Glory, was incredibly ambitious. It's interesting to note that at this point, Brown had gone from being an aspiring folk singer to inventing a device that would help wow audiences for a film about the inspired folk icon, Woody Guthrie. Life, imitating art, imitating life, captured on film, for art. It's full circle, poetic even. I don't even, I don't think that saying works the way you think it does. Hmm? The inaugural Steadicam shot in all of film starts on a traditional crane lift that lowers Brown and his Steadicam over a shanty town full of Hooverville-era extras. At this point, the shot is still something that audiences of the time would have come to expect from high-level filmmakers, a sweeping crane shot to establish the setting. But just as the crane lift reaches the ground, Cinovation and movie magic takes over. In a fluid motion, Brown and his camera step off of the crane platform and smoothly follow two characters in a walking conversation through the throngs of extras. The shot left other filmmakers and audiences alike uttering the five words every movie magician longs to hear. How did they do that? The shot was such an impressive addition to the film that it helped cinematographer Haskell Wexler win an Academy Award for cinematography. All three films that year would be nominated for Academy Awards. Bound for Glory would win two of its six, including the win for cinematography, 
Marathon Man grabbed one nomination, and Rocky would take home three of its nine nominations, including Oscars for Best Picture and a Best Director win for Alvidson. At the following year's ceremony, the Academy would award Garrett Brown and the Cinema Products Corporation a Technical Achievements Oscar for the invention of the Steadicam. It was clear, even its first few shots, that the Steadicam had profoundly and immediately cemented its place in Cinevation history. Garrett's most challenging work would come at the turn of the decade, when he was hired to film Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Kubrick was known for pushing the technical limits of filmmaking, and indeed pushed for the Steadicam to go further than it had previously. Pushed, that is, all the way to the floor. Brown had to reconfigure and invert his camera mounts and counterweights to shoot not feet above the floor, but inches above the floor. The inverted positioning became known as low mode and is widely used still as a configuration on modern Steadicams. Kubrick used the Steadicam all over his film, including the now iconic shots down the infamous hallways of the Overlook Hotel, as well as through the hedge maze at the film's climax. Working with Kubrick taxed Garrett's skills as a Steadicam operator further than he'd ever had to. Brown credits the grueling experience with helping him to perfect his craft. Brown and his Steadicam started to become Hollywood's IT camera operator and rig. His artful success, just like Pastroni's before him, brought on almost immediate duplicates and competition. Panavision rolled out their camera stabilizer, the Panaglide, in 1978. Panavision's versions skated the line of patent infringement, though it did have a few differences, notably the incredibly uncomfortable vest harness, but the rig was essentially a clone of the Steadicam. It made its film debut in Terrence Malick's period drama, Days of Heaven, but it was the chilling, unbroken, single-shot opening and unnerving POV shots of the lurking serial killer, Michael Myers, in John Carpenter's horror classic, Halloween, that really made an impact. Garrett knew that he'd have to adapt to stay successful. He ultimately found that the key to his success was to open up the access to this new tool. By teaching others how to become Steadicam operators, he'd ensure that a new specialized technician would be readily available to cover the increased demand for Steadicam shots. Additionally, as more operators were trained on the Steadicam, it would be destined to become the industry standard. Garrett would go on to train the next generation of operators, including his own son, Jonathan Brown, who would eventually take over training operations. The Panaglide would eventually fizzle away, while Garrett and his Steadicam would continue to shoot countless shitty movies such as Fame, Xanadu, and Annie, but then also managed to shoot some great ones like Stripes, Tootsie, and Casino. His Steadicam runs over a rickety bridge in Sri Lanka in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Anywhere you see an amazing gliding camera shot, you're probably seeing Brown's Steadicam. Sure, those shots today could be achieved with a drone, but at the turn of the modern age of filmmaking, Shots like that were nearly unfathomable before the Steadicam. That signature camera glide has been used in hundreds of films, TV shows, music videos, and commercials, and is championed by marquee directors like Scorsese, Spielberg, Tarantino, and many, many more. With one step off a crane and into a town of extras in 1976, 
Garrett Brown showed us a new way to move not only a camera, but an audience. And yet, his innovative legacy does not end with just the Steadicam. Brown would go on to revolutionize and invent a handful of camera tracking systems that created new perspectives on film and in sports. A 1984 preseason NFL game saw the debut of Brown's Skycam, a motorized multi-axis camera suspended on wires that has now become a fixture of football broadcast flying just above the action in every NFL stadium for two decades. Hey dads, that's uh, that machine moving across the heads of your favorite NFL team every Monday, Thursday, and Sunday night. That little uh, little machine goes across the thing. You're probably like, what the fuck is that? This guy did it. Became super popular because of the XFL. Did it? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. The more you know. 2001. Doon, 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 doon. Little Al's facts within the innovations. <laughs> Brown would revolutionize how we capture Olympic athletes in the 90s with his hand-cranked underwater Moby cam that gave us new perspectives on elite swimming, and the field-level GoCam that is able to race around a track at Olympic athlete speed to keep the spectator in on the action of finish line sprints and figure skating. He invented a gravity-fed camera that slid down a windowed tube called the Dive Cam that showed us the strength and speed at which Olympic divers twist and maneuver their bodies as we follow them from the platform into the pool. And a camera on a zip line that can reach controlled speeds of 90 miles per hour called the fly cam. That changed how we see rowing, kayaking, and downhill events like never before. It would have been enough for Garrett Brown to just add one significant visual tool to the filmmaker's arsenal. Instead, he continued to invent and reshape the lens from which we not only see movies, but the world. So to Garrett Brown, we salute you and your Cinovation! Talking movies every week. Talking movies every week. Cinovation! 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 Hosted by Jeff and Corey. The following episode of Switch the Envelope was a Cinovations mini-sode. You can catch all Switch the Envelope episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed. You can follow us on Instagram at Switch the Envelope or on Twitter at Switch Envelope. Switch the Envelope is a Riff Laugh production. Switch the Envelope is written and produced by Jeff and Corey. Switch the Envelope is mixed by Jeff at good old Studio 85.